Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words you have told in our mouth with the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of the people of the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Let's read a few verses here from Breshit chapter 12. Parsha Leklaka. Vayomer Adonai el Avram Leklaka. And Adonai said to Avram, Go for yourself from your land, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who curses you I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall, be, shall bless themselves by you. I want to begin uh, by stating a, a, a something that's very important up front. That very often catches people by surprise and sometimes depending on uh, where they are, uh, gives them some angst. And that is that Abraham is the first Jew. Now, that is not just an opinion. It's a reality, and it's a, it's a reality that is codified in Jewish literature across the board, understood to be fact by all Jews, and has been understood to be a fact by Jews and Judaism for thousands of years, well before the Mashiach ever um, made his appearance on the scene, as it were, in the manifested form. Okay? Very important. Now, lot, sometimes people push back on that and say, how can it be the first Jew? Judah doesn't, wasn't even born until many, many uh, you know, generations later, or a few, well, not many generations, but a few generations later, Judah came about. So there wasn't any Jews until Judah because that is a uh, very, very narrow scope. How many of you know that the king of the Jews has existed before there was existence? How, do you know that, how, how many of you know that the lion from Judah existed before there was such thing as a son? Before there were such things as a universe for the USSR Shalom to travel through. Right? We pretend like the name Judah was a name that Leah gave her son. We pretend like it didn't come from God. So we put God in a box because he has to follow a timeline. How many of you know that the king of Judah is outside of time? So Abraham is the first Jew. Why is this a problem for people, really? Because of a technical issue about the name Judah and when the tribe of Judah can... No, it's not a technical issue at all. Let me tell you what it is. We just cut right to the chase. I like to hold things back usually and be mild. But today is an exception. Let me just tell you why it's a problem for people. Ready? Don't, get, don't walk out when I say this. Because sometimes the doctor tells us something, and we're like, that's not me. He's like, well, then why did you come to see me if you knew the answer already? 
right? Anyway, it's anti-Semitism. Because if Abraham is the first Jew and we are a sons of Abraham, then that means we have to be, I'm sorry, what was that word? Jews. And many people don't want to be Jews. They want to serve the God of the Jews. They want to read the Bible of the Jews. They want to believe in the Messiah of the Jews. And in some cases, they want to follow the law of the Jews, but they don't want to be Jews. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Perfect sense. So, um, anyway, that's really the bottom line. The bottom line when people say they don't want Abraham to be Jewish is because there's an inherent anti-Semitic heart that has to be dealt with. And also, if Abraham is the first Jew, then this also dismantles all kinds of uh, false theologies, like the Messianic Gentile theology. Because Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And if all the sons are Jewish, that's a problem with my theology. I've been preaching for many years. Like, you like that? Almost sounds like Keila and Michaela up here. <laughs> Only deeper. Also, in the Targum, it says, when all the families of the earth shall be blessed, shall bless themselves by you. The Targum translates this word, because it can be translated this way, to mean all the nations of the earth shall be engrafted into you. Shall be engrafted into you. Now I'm going to give you a, a preview of what I'm going to I intend to share, Bezrat Hashem, during the conversion class, a little, little drop from there. Because mis people misunderstand what it means to be engrafted. Because a lot of people say, the reason I'm bringing this up, by the way, is because Abraham's life is all about making converts. Abraham's life is all about bringing in the nations into Torah. Not only is Abraham the first Jew, but he's also a convert to Judaism. So the first Jew who's ever lived was a convert to Judaism. Abraham did not grow up in a Jewish home. Abraham was not circumcised on the eighth day. Abraham did not have a bar mitzvah. Abraham did not go to synagogue. Abraham's papa and his mama were not Jewish. All the things that are supposed to qualify you to be able to keep Torah in our modern day and age did not exist for Abraham. Yet, he was called to be a Torah observant Jew. And that is our father. In fact, Abraham is the father of all Jews. In fact, you're, you can't be a Jew if your father, unless your father is Abraham and your mother is Sarah. In fact, this is why when a convert goes to the mikveh, and when they come up out of the water, they say, you've been born again a son or daughter of Abraham. That's what that means. Because Judaism is not a race all by itself. It's not a race. It's not just a religion. It's not just a nation. It's ultimately a family. It's ultimately a family. 
And all the nations are supposed to be engrafted into the family vis-a-vis Abraham. We're going to read in a moment from the Midrash Rabbah how Abraham is a mikvah. How when we go to the mikvah, the mikvah has many different layers of meaning. But one of the layers of the meaning of the mikvah is we mikvah into Abraham. What does that mean? It means that we mikvah into the faith of Abraham. Now, back to engrafting. People often say, I'm grafted in. Right? I know you've heard it. I won't ask you to raise your hand. If you haven't heard it, you're not alive. I'm grafted in. But people don't understand what that means because they don't know, most people don't know how you graft something onto something else. They assume that you can take the branch of a, of, oh, I don't know, a, a, a peanut bush and graft it onto an apple tree. And so you can have, I'm grafted into the apple tree, but I'm still a peanut. Doesn't work that way. You have to graft in like species, okay? And then the grafted in branch does not nourish the tree. As somebody wisely said, isn't it interesting that the one new man always looks like a Gentile? When we talk about Jews and Gentiles worshiping in Messiah, why is it that when you go to such congregations, it looks far more Gentile than it does Jewish? Because we have the grafting laws backwards. The grafted in branch is providing the sap to the tree, and therefore it, the tree is becoming like the branch. This is talked about in, I believe it's tractate Yoma, if I remember correctly, my memory serves me right about the laws of grafting. And it's, there's a discussion that if you have a tree that is five years old and therefore you're able to eat the fruit of it, but you take a branch and you graft it onto the tree and the branch is three years old, there's now a halakhic question. Is the fruit of the tree forbidden or not? And the answer to the discussion was that the grafted-in branch takes upon itself the law of the tree, not the other way around. So if, you, if someone says, I've been grafted into Israel, which I've heard that a lot in my tenure, then the answer would be, well, if you really are grafted in, if you follow the rules of grafting, then you would be taking upon yourself the rules of the tree. You would not be trying to push your rules of the branch onto the tree. So if you find yourself, I'm grafted in, but I don't do that Jewish stuff. I'm grafted in, but I don't like candles. That's Jewish. I'm grafted in, but I don't, I don't, set, I don't, I eat cheeseburgers because separation is Jewish. Then you're not really grafted in because if you're grafted in, then you take upon yourself the law of the tree, not the other way around. That's just the reality. Sometimes it helps us to get into reality that, rather than try to continue to believe the illusion. Moreover, if you take a grafted branch and you graft it onto a tree, you, I've been told before that you use this type of wrapping material that's biodegradable, it's organic. And for a while, as you 
look at the tree, it is fairly obvious that there's a branch that's been grafted on because there's a, a, some type of binding material that's on there. So, and it probably looks a little awkward. That Maybe the tree branch at first looks a little weak. But then as it starts to draw the sap from the root, it begins to perk up a little bit. Over time, that bandage will fall away. And the, the branch becomes bound up. Its, it's, it's uh, molecules or whatever become one with the molecules of the bark around it. And you come back a little while later, maybe a year or so, and you can't tell which branch was grafted and which one was natural. That's what a convert is. And incidentally, I understand, I'm not an uh, expert on this matter, but I understand this to be true, that when you graft a branch onto a tree like this, that it's good for the branch, obviously, because it draws the sap and begins to perk up and produce good fruit. You're, I understand the reason you're grafting it onto the tree is because the tree is a really good tree, and you want that branch to produce really good fruit, and so that's what you're doing. But there's a, as I, again, as I understand, a natural phenomenon, a scientific phenomenon, that when that tree branch has been grafted in begins to really sup the sap, that the other branches say, oh, snap. There's a new branch in town, and it's drawing the sap from the root to grow, and we're not going to let that thing get all the nourishment. So it starts to produce, it starts to, to perk up and, and ask for more sap too. So the whole tree prospers because there's a grafted-in branch. In other words, in other words, it's like this. That branch provoked all the other branches to jealousy to draw the sap. But you got to understand that that branch, if it was drawing sap from the neighboring tree, it's not going to produce jealousy in the other branches. Someone says, look at me, I'm eating a cheeseburger and wearing bell loop seat seat. And uh, eating non-kosher beef and not lighting candles on Shabbat because that's just religious nonsense. And I'm provoking my fellow Jewish to je person to jealousy. And, and we on the Jewish side of the fence were like, <laughs> uh, no. It's not, you're not provoking anything. Except for people to look at you and go, what are you doing? Stop doing that. And a hush comes over the crowd. As all of our hopes and dreams came crashing down. Because somebody thought you that told you that 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 was the case, right? It's wrong. If you are going to provoke the other branches of jealousy, you've got to be in the tree, of the tree, drinking from the tree, living like the tree, producing the same fruit as the tree. For the other branches to go, wait a minute. Because the idea of provoking the Jew to jealousy is not to get the Jew to provoke to jealousy to get cut off and join another tree. 
the point of provoking the Jew to jealousy is so that we all produce more fruit together. Not change trees. All right, enough about trees. Abraham was a man against the world. Leklaka is about going out for yourself, as we've said many times, about going out for your own good. This chapter, for the sake of time, we're not going to read uh, both the 13, uh, 12 and 13, but this is obviously Abraham's call to leave his home and go out. What made Abraham the first Jew? Because there was other people who followed Torah. He learned Torah from Shem, from Noah, from Eber. But what made Abraham the first Jew was that he was willing to go out. That's what the sages bring down about Abraham is that what made him unique and special and made him the first Jew, the first Israelite, the first Hebrew, all synonymous terms, was that he was willing to take the faith to the masses. And interesting that Abraham was not, he, he wasn't, um, he didn't struggle with the blood cult mentality because, as I said, he, was, he didn't grow up in a Jewish home. Isn't it interesting that he didn't even start his journey into Judaism until he was a, an old man? Most people in this room haven't, haven't reached 75 years old yet. Not everybody. Most people in this room, most of you, most of you watching, are under the age of 75. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm getting started late in the game. Look at Abraham. And by the way, Abraham didn't have, he couldn't go to YouTube and, and get lessons. There was no app to tell Abraham when to light the candles. There was no Aliyah day. Abraham did not tune in to the Aliyah day. I know y'all think it's been around forever, <laughs> but it hasn't. Abraham was a man against the world. And I always, I, we, we, we talked about Joseph on, uh, on the Aliyah about this, but it's interesting about Abraham because many of us feel alone. We're the only one in our families, maybe, that is trying to live a Jewish life, and everybody in our family is not. Everybody. And when the holidays come around, you know what I'm talking about. You just feel like you're just this big in the middle of a big giant sea, a tree of peanuts. And you're the only great. And some people get despondent and discouraged, and want to quit, and yet they show up, most of you, even online, show up in each and every week, and there's a room of over 100 people, and there's online, I don't, I'm just, there's normally several hundred people online from across the world that are all alone with you. We're all alone together. Nobody's like Abraham. Talk about alone. And he had to convince Sarah. God bless Sarah. You know a woman likes her house. Honey, we're going to sell this house and move out of Haran. That's great, honey. We're going to go. I don't know. 
but God told me to go. Who's God? Well, the king of the universe, master of creation. All right, I believe that. So where did he tell you to go? He said, leave and I'll show you. Now, there's a, be honest, ladies. There's many of you women who'd be like, boy, you need to sit down and eat your soup. We're not going anywhere. You are smoking some crack. What's wrong with you? Go somewhere, don't know where you're going. You know that's true. Go out for yourself. As a rabbi... Um, Oh, excuse me, yeah, Remain Yubakia points out, this is the call to separate yourself from your homeland. This is a test of Abraham. The first test of Abraham was, is he willing to separate himself from people for the sake of heaven? Now, we don't, you know, we're not saying you have to cut your friends off. God forbid, that's not what we're saying. No one says that. Right? But when you choose to follow the Messiah, it requires, say requires, it requires a change of life. You know that Matthew was a tax collector. He was collecting taxes when the Mashiach said, follow me. Uh, I've mentioned this movie on the Aliyah, and I've, I haven't watched it since I moved, mentioned it again but I'm thinking about it in my head since I said it. It's a movie called The Book of Matthew. It's a word for word uh, from the Book of Matthew. From the, I think they use the NIV version. But anyway, it's word for word. It's a, good, it's a good movie. It's a Christian flick and all that. But I like the way they, they portray the Messiah. And I've, it, I've, I've owned it for uh, probably a couple of decades now. Um, but I've seen it countless times. But there's a scene in there where the Messiah calls Matthew. And you can see Matthew at his, his, his tax collector desk. And the sages used to say that there was, no one was hated like a tax collector. Somebody said amen. They said that uh, when you met a tax collector in the first century, it was like being mauled by a bear. That's how the sages described it. Like being mauled by a bear. So you, here's, here's, here's Matthew who is a tax collector in town, that when he deals with people, he is mauling them like a bear. And by the way, he's a Levite. Can you imagine Matthew, I can't imagine, frankly, what he must have been thinking about how low he must have been in his mind in God's kingdom. How low, who knows why he became a tax collector. Maybe he was greedy, maybe he was not all that, uh, scrupulous, maybe he, uh, that's all he could do, but there was something in Matthew that the Messiah saw, and here's the Mashiach. Now, you got to understand, Matthew is sitting at this table, he's collecting taxes, mauling people like a bear, and here comes this great sage, this great Pharisaical rabbi, this great Pharisee Messiah, Yeshua, and his entourage that undoubtedly Matthew had heard about opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, casting out demons, walking on water, all this amazing stuff. He's sitting there, and Matthew's probably thinking, I, 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 there's nothing for me. I'm just mauling people. And he stops at the table, looks down, 
Matashiahu, son of Levi. Follow me. And he got up, and it says he left the table and followed him. That's powerful. I can relate to Matthew a little bit. But to follow him means you have to leave your table. And very often be a man against the world. Be willing to be transformed and changed. Be willing to abandon. No preconditions. Dead people don't have preconditions. I have no preconditions. I, I unconditionally surrender to the Mashiach. And the reason I do is because I was a tax collector sitting at a table who had no hope, who was mauling people to death for a living. And the greatest, most holiest Zodic in the whole land turned to me and said, I didn't come to him. He came to me and said, follow me. How many of you didn't come to Yeshua? He came to you and said, follow me. You know why we didn't go to him? Because we had nothing to offer him. But he saw in us a hidden spark. He said, you think you have nothing to offer me, Matthew, but there's something in you I see. And so instead of mauling people, I'm going to make you somebody who's going to repair them. So we go out from our birthplace, from our father's house, we Take the first step, Rabbeinu Bakya says, towards the realization of Judaism, which is to be a Jew means to break with the crowd out of love for God and to accept, listen to this, to accept, listen to this, to accept the sacrifice of isolation. Now, again, I want to emphasize, we're not, you don't do this intentionally. You don't cut off all your friends and all your relatives. Of course not, obviously. That's cultish nonsense. But what I'm talking about is to be willing to accept the isolation, the sacrifice of isolation when they cut you off and they will. And to understand, see, this is, this, is the, this is the great comfort, is to understand that you're not alone. There's people right now whose relatives have cut them off. I happen to be one of them. I have very few family that will even talk to me, that will even reach out to me. It's not a woe is me. I'm just telling you, it's real. And many of you are the same way. You know, they, you get that reluctant call once a year. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, what are you going? Okay. Why? Because I'm Jewish. I've got close relatives that when I was a teenager used to live at their house. But the day I became a Jew... But it's okay. I mean, it stinks. But I'm not alone. Because Abraham lost his family and 
Joseph lost his family, and undoubtedly Matthew lost his family. And See, the people that lost their families, not by their own choice, but, be, but that's just the way it turned, end up having new family. I've got, I say I have, I'm, I have little family, talking about my blood, blood relatives, but you know, just like Yeshua said, these are my brothers, and these are my mothers, and these are my sisters. Everybody who follows Torah, that's my family. And so I have a huge family. It's wonderful. The divine commandment to lek go for yourself is put at the head of Judaism. Notice the wording here. It implies the will to go it along with God if need be. Nobody wants to do that, but if you need to, you're willing to. The demands... This demands courage, he writes, and the deep conviction of the truth of the message itself. This is why we have to be careful that we don't ever surrender our values one way or the other in order to please people. Unfortunately, that's happened in too many cases. God took Abraham out. I want to share an insight here, another insight from Remain Yubakia about being nose blind. This is a very interesting insight. Being nose blind means that you get so accustomed to certain fragrances you don't even notice it anymore. You become nose blind to it. It says here, according to Midrash Tankuma 3 on Lek Leka, Abraham was not aware of the stench caused by the people amongst whom he had lived as his environment was similar to a graveyard which had been sprinkled with a bottle of spikenard oil which neutralized the stench which emanates from there. How did God deal with this problem? He took Abraham from place to place and acquainted him with the different smells of the universe. In this manner, Abraham was able to appreciate what, what, what was going wrong in the world And he would be trained not to become overwhelmed by the stench caused by the lifestyles of his contemporaries. Then came the point when Abraham, or God rather, said to Abraham, Remove yourself from them and do not become dirtied by them. This is the meaning of the words lech lecha. It is time that you, by your, the time for you by yourself. The repetition he writes of the letters lech lecha allude to the word lech, lech, lech. Dirt. God did not want him to become dirtied by his surroundings. So sometimes we become nose blind. And you get into a new environment. It's like somebody shared with me this week about the eyes being opened, the, the realization of what they believed prior to coming into this and not really understanding all the error that was there. Why? Because you come, become nose blind to it. You've got to not be afraid to, to take a step out towards truth. Never be afraid to believe God's word. You'd be amazed at how many people are afraid to believe God's word. It says here that Abraham left with the souls he had made. Onkelos translates this uh, phrase as the souls that they had subjugated to Torah. 
the souls that they had subjugated the Torah. See, a lot of people don't realize that Judaism teaches and understands that the first evangelist of all time, the first evangelist of all time was Abraham. He was the first preacher. He was the first missionary. That Abraham and Sarah, their principal duty was to go out and teach other people about Torah Judaism and the belief in the one God. Now, if we want to have a great or a proper perspective on our theology, it's been taught erroneously that the Torah is only for Jewish people. Now, that's both true and untrue. Let me explain how it's untrue, the implication behind that statement that makes it untrue. The implication is that God only wants a certain people group of a certain bloodline to keep the Torah, and everybody else is not supposed to or doesn't have to or whatever. Okay? So that's where the statement is false, because Abraham was the first Jew. Now, follow this logically. Everybody here is intelligent, okay? Because you're here. Uh I'm, I'm half kidding. So, Abraham is the first Jew. He didn't grow up in a Jewish home. Which right off the bat, that fact negates that false theology of the Torah is just for Jews. Because the first Jew who embraced the Torah didn't grow up in a Jewish home. So therefore, that alone destroys that false theology. But let's pretend like it didn't. Then, if we want to follow the, the, the theological idea that you have to be Jewish in order to keep Torah, Abraham left his home in Haran. He went to Canaan. And while he was on the way and at Canaan, he used to stop people and say, excuse me, are you Jewish? Pardon me, sir, are you Jewish? Now, how many yeses would he have received? No, use your heads. He's the first Jew and he was a convert. He's asking people now if they're born Jewish. Some of you are like, I'm thinking zero, but I don't want to say it. <laughs> the answer is zero. So if the Torah is for Jewish people, then Abraham's ministry was short and sweet. And he had to wait a few decades for the first Jew to be born so he could teach him Torah. Which doesn't make any sense why he would circumcise all the males in his house along with Ishmael. And by the way, Noahides aren't circumcised. Neither are Messianic Gentiles. You only circumcise Jews. I think Abraham might have had a different perspective about who was supposed to embrace Torah. Now, it is true that the Torah is only for Jews. Because a Gentile, by definition, is an idolater who doesn't follow the God of Israel, and so therefore wouldn't keep Torah. So naturally, if you claim to be a Gentile, then you wouldn't keep Torah because you're not in the kingdom of the Jews. Therefore, 
your king is not the king of the Jews because he's the king of the, the king of the, starts with a J, the king of the Jews. Did you know that you can go to the movie? I just, y'all are like, what? Did you know that you can go to the opera? Did you know that you can go to, what's that place called in New York? Um, Broadway. Did you know that right now you can fly to France? Not now, but tomorrow. Do you know that? You can fly to, well, some of you don't have passports, which need to fix that. But some of you can fly to Oklahoma. But, but you need a ticket. Yeah, right? You need a ticket. You can't force your way onto the aircraft. What's going to happen if that happens? Right. So you have to, once you have a ticket, you become part of the audience. That's called conversion. So it says, Hashem said to Abraham, by Yomer Adonai Avram, this is Midrash Shabbat 39.2. Rabbeinu, or excuse me, Rabbi Berakiah opened his discourse on our verse from a passage from the quote of the Song of Songs, which says, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. We have a little sister. This is referring to Abraham who joined all the people of the world. Say all. All. Abraham who joined all the people of the world to the Holy One, blessed be He. It says, Bar Karpara said, This is like one who sews together a tear in a garment. And the footnote says, the, This union that Abraham accomplished was not something new, but was like one who repairs or I'm going to say renews what was once whole. So isn't that remarkable? What Abraham did is he was a repairer of the breach. That he went around sewing people back together who, he didn't make a new garment, he sewed them back together because they had become torn from their original relationship. So when you actually bring people to God... And you say, well, I'm, I'm trying, I feel weird bringing them in, into this new relationship that they've never heard about. No, 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 you're missing the point. In the womb, they were taught Torah by the living God. You are simply bringing them back to the womb to be born again unto the life that they were originally intended to be born unto. We've got this whole thing messed up in our head. They subjugated... Isn't it interesting that Abraham and Sarah went around subjugating, I love that word, subjugating people to Torah. It says, and the souls they made in Haran. It says in Rabbi um, uh, Monk. That means whom they had brought in under the wings of the Shekinah. Yeshua said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
How I long to gather you like a chick under the wings. What does that mean? What is the euphemism of gathering under the wings of the Shekinah mean? It means conversion. That Abraham went around and brought people under the wings of the Shekinah. It says, Abraham brought the men to God and Sarah brought the women. So they, they practiced Shomer, Nagia. Abraham witnessed to the men and brought them in and Sarah was witnessing to the women and bringing them in. This was their ministry, you understand. They were the first evangelists. Rashi, what became of these proselytes? Now listen to this. This is the pitfall you got to be aware of. What became of these proselytes? No further mention is made of them, for they dispersed when they saw that Abraham's children no longer showed them hospitality and charity the same extraordinary degree that the father of all peoples and believers had done. It didn't say they were false converts. It didn't say that they didn't have real faith. What it says was that when we were not hospitable and when we did not show them charity and when we did not show them an extraordinary degree of love and compassion as the father of all peoples and believers, that's put in quotes, Abraham is the father of all peoples and believers. That's the quote I'm reading to you right here. When we failed to do what Abraham and Sarah did, it caused the converts to disperse and go, go away which is the exact reverse of our mission. Instead of casting light, we're casting darkness. We're supposed to be a rescue ship, not a pleasure, sh a pleasure cruise boat. We're supposed to be in the water rescuing people like uh, the Coast Guard. But instead, we're on the Royal Caribbean cruise ship. Nobody wants to go get in the rescue boat because the buffet's too good. Nobody wants to go out and try to get anybody to, to come in because we might miss the show started, getting ready to start. No one stops to think how we got on the boat to begin with because <laughs> somebody went out in the rescue boat and got us. We forgot that part because we're wearing the tuxedo now. No longer have the drenched clothes on. Where we were half drowning. Rabbi Yubakia says the Midrash approach to the word Osul is found in Brashit Rabbah 39.14 where it is understood as applying to the converts Abraham and Sarah managed to make in Haran and whom they took with them to the land of Canaan. Avraham converted the males and Sarah the females. This is why the Torah speaks of that phenomenon in the plural that they had made, each one separately. It says, if only Abraham had been, pro been busy proselytizing, then the Torah should have written, Ashur Aso, whom he had made. He also found, we also find rather, that Yaakov did the exact same thing as his grandfather Abraham had done, because the Torah speaks of him sojourning in the land of Canaan, as it says, and Yaakov settled in the land in which his grandfather has succeeded in making converts. Breshit Rabbah 84.4. From this we learn that Yaakov also was making converts. The Art School Humash says the plan of creation was for all human beings to have an equal share 
in the fulfillment of the divine mission and for the Torah to be given to all mankind. That's the art scroll Chumash. Chumash. The Torah is supposed to go to who? All mankind. The Torah is supposed to go to all mankind. A couple, a couple more insights and we'll, we'll conclude. From the Midrash Rabbah. I said that Abraham is a mikvah, so I want to share this. Our mikvah will be uh, uh, completed soon. Amen. You should all give to it. Clap. It says, and you shall be a blessing. The Midrash Rabbah, 39.12. Midrash Rabbah, 39.12, page 12. It says, and you shall be a blessing. Read the word baracha as if it were vocalized birecha, meaning a pool. Thus God was telling Abraham here, just as a pool purifies the ritually contaminated, so you will bring close those far removed from the way of God and purify them for their Father in heaven. It says in the Insights, he was therefore able to influence the estranged. The, notice the, the word estranged used there. This is someone who is estranged is someone who had a relationship, but that relationship in one way or the other has been broken. And so therefore, Abraham's mission and our mission is to find those people who have broken relationship with Hashem and bring them in. He was therefore able to influence the estranged and draw them close to God since he himself could not be impressed or changed by them. Why? He purified the defiled, but he himself could not be made impure. Why? Because a mikvah cannot be made impure. For a purifying mikvah purifies the defiled while it itself cannot become defiled. Did you know that? Did you know that a mikvah can't be made impure because it's living water? Did you know the Torah scroll can't be made impure? Because a Torah scroll imparts purity. See, this is why the woman with the issue of blood was able to touch the Messiah and receive purity, and she was not in danger of making him impure because, see, he's a, a well of living water. He said, if you come to me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Woman, you can't make me impure. I impart purity. Which is why when he touched, when she touched him, she touched his tzitzit. That's because women didn't wear tzitzit. That's why she was seeking a zadok who had them on, because women didn't wear them. But that's a whole other topic. She touched his seat seat, and out of, out of that flowed to her purity. And he told the disciples, somebody's touched me. And Kepha said, everybody is touching you. Like we're walking through a crowd, and literally I'm trying to, I'm, I just popped somebody in the mouth because they was touching you. <laughs> and 
And he said, no, no, somebody's touched me because I felt virtue go out from me. See, what's, the irony is, is that the only one in the crowd who didn't actually touch him was the woman who touched the seat seat of his garment. But what they didn't realize and understand is that the seat seat represents the Torah. And since he is the Torah, she's the only one who had actually touched him because she connected her faith with the word of God and he is the word of God which is why she touched him, even though she wasn't touching him. And that's why virtue went out, because the word of God itself is a mikvah, because God says, I'm the hope of Israel, which the word hope is mikvah there in Jeremiah. And so when we go to the mikvah, we're mikvahing in Hashem, we're mikvahing in his word, we're mikvahing in the faith of Abraham. That's why if we claim to have the faith of Abraham, we have to live a Jewish life. If we claim to have that faith. It, that is if we believe the Bible. That always has to be, the, I guess, the caveat. One more thing. And you should be a blessing. It says, Rabbi Berkayah said, It is already written earlier in the verse, and I will bless you. Why then does the Torah state again, you shall be a blessing? Rather, God was saying to Abraham, until now I needed to bless those in my word who deserve blessing myself. Henceforth the blessings are entrusted to you. Whoever appears deserving to you, you shall bless them. Abraham went around and he decided now who should receive the blessing. And Abraham had, he basically, his idea was, if you are alive, then you need to come into Torah. And he became the one who made souls. Why? Because it says, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin 19b, that anyone who teaches a person Torah is considered as if he had born that person. By instilling in him the ideals that were previously unknown to him, one makes that person's soul, in essence, giving birth to a new creation. Thus, the Torah refers to a Torah teacher as one who is actually a father, and his students are his sons. And we say, Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. 